Hi and hello watch fans and welcome to the first ever episode of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighbourhood watchmaker Rob Nuts, and my co-host Alan Ben-Joseph calling in all the way from Amsterdam. As promised, we are going to be answering our listeners' questions and we already have a real humdinger to start with. This is coming from Ted via Instagram and Alan, would you like to tell the audience exactly what we're going to be addressing, not just today, but over our first two Q&A sessions because he picked such a good question for us to start with. We have the Oscars of watchmaking coming up on the 10th of November. The GPHG, in French, the Grand Prix de l'Orlogerie de Genève. Very exciting. There are 15 categories. And for the 2022 award ceremony, there are 15 segments. And the nominees were announced last week. And today, and in our next episode, Rob and I, are going to walk through every category, discuss which we think should be the winner in that specific category. But before we're going to share both our winners, we're going to do a little game. We're going, both are going to guess which one the other is picking and why. Obviously, we're going to say which one it is that we picked and why. And obviously, we will record an episode after the ceremony to discuss the actual winners and we'll see how our guessing game went in case you're sitting behind the screen or having a screen in your hands while listening to this episode we recommend you to surf to the website gphg.org and when you navigate to the menu which says 2022 edition and pick the sub category nominated timepieces you will see what we're actually looking at right now rob the floor is yours so ted has actually asked us which watches do you think will win the upcoming gphg awards in november and why we're going to try and offer our reasoning behind our answers along the way first up we have the ladies category now alon do you want to guess what i'm going to go for before i talk you through Yes. How yes, I got yes, there? Yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. And it's actually very cool that the ladies categories first, because a lot of ladies in watchmaking are annoyed by the hardcore labeling of watches being feminine, male, unisex. And I kind of concur with these ladies. Yeah. My girlfriend frequently dips into my collection and borrows my Speedmaster Broad Arrow, for example, and it's not designed to be a lady's watch, but it looks just fine on her wrist. Exactly. We should actually make that one of our future Q&A sessions with the ladies in the watch industry and do a deep dive on this topic. Every category, all 15, have six watches nominated. In the ladies categories, in case you're not looking at the screen right now, I'll do it very quickly. Arnold and Son is nominated, Chomin, Chopard, Constantin Schacken, Parmigiani Fleurier, and Van Cleesen Alpels. I won't bother you guys by reading out all the titles of the watches, what they're named, and how they're looked, but I am guessing Rob, who's an odd one, is going for the Constantin Schacken, <laughs> the Harlequin. So that's an interesting choice. Anybody that knows me will probably know that I'm a big Constantine Chekin fan and I love the Joker series or the Wristmon series of watches, which is what he calls this collection of watches that have a literal face on the face of the watch. Now, this one is inspired by the comic book character Harley Quinn, one of Batman's, I don't know, she's a 
She's a villain, but she sort of crosses over occasionally. She's on the good side. I think she's in the Suicide Squad. She's good friends with Poison Ivy and the Joker. And she's a great character. And I love this execution of the design because it's very close to the original Joker. And in fact, if you were one of the lucky people that bought the Joker back in the day for, I think, about six, maybe 7,000 euros when it launched, you could get this for your significant other and it would be the best his and hers pair you could possibly hope for. It's so cool. It's so under the radar and it is an absolutely wonderful collectible item to own from several perspectives, from watchmaking, from comic books and just from pure design as an object. So it's a good shout to guess that that was my pick, but it wasn't a romp to the title as you might have expected. So there were three watches in this category that were in contention. I immediately dismissed the Arnold and Son, the Showmay, and the Van Cleef and Apples, which upsets me because I like Van Cleef and Apples a lot. I have a huge amount of respect for them as a jeweler, and I like a lot of the complications they bring into ladies' watchmaking. The watch that ended up in third place for me was the Chopard Alpine Eagle 33. It's one of those integrated bracelet sports watches that I think doesn't get as much of a fair shake as it deserves. And in this execution, it's... Rather attractive, actually. I think it works almost better than the steel version does for men. It seems to take those diamonds very nicely. The bracelet's got a natural center link line that can hold four diamonds per link. And yeah, it's a lovely looking thing, maybe typically feminine, but it's got a good movement inside it, so it gets a pass. The top two. Now, this was a real heavyweight battle for a few reasons. Yes, the Harley Quinn Wristmon is cool. It's the coolest watch on this list, without a doubt. It's relatively reasonably priced at a shade under 20,000 euros, which is a far cry from the original Wristmon series, but nowadays about the going rate. And in comparison to the Parmigiani Fleurier Tonda PF Automatic, which threatened to take my choice away from the Harley Quinn, it's a snip because that Parmigiani is 50K or just a shade under 50K. It is, of course, a solid gold watch, but it is only time only, only hours and minutes, but it's gorgeous. It's got this beautiful aubergine dial, this burn aubergine dial. It's not actually black. It uses finishing to great effect. So the dial has got a stamped flinke pattern and the case and bracelet alternate between brushed and polished surfaces and the fluted bezel adds a little something extra to the whole thing. What it is that really came down to deciding my choice between these two, though, was the dimensions. Now, Alon, you know very well that I am obsessed with watch dimensions and what that means to how the watch looks on the wrist. And I am, of course, referencing my old visual impact index that I created while I was with Fratello, which aims to explain how measurements on paper can be misleading when combined with other measurements and factoring in other elements on the dial. Now, the Harley Quinn watch is 40 millimeters in diameter. But it has a thickness of 35 millimeters, which is a little bit thicker than you would ideally want for a watch that width. Given the fact that it also has no hands and quite a lot going on the dial, it's likely to wear a bit stout. It's going to be a bit of a stocky watch, so it will stand up on your wrist and be a bit of a box. But at the same time, it's very charming, very balanced style, and so you'll probably get away with it. It'll probably wear relatively true to size, but it won't end up looking that feminine or low profile. The Tonda, on the other hand, is not only 36 millimeters wide, but only 8.6 millimeters thick. And that includes an automatic movement. And it's a beautiful automatic movement as well. It has a beautifully finished Parmigiani Florier rotor. And I think that this is kind of the thing that exemplifies what I've been saying, maybe rightly or wrongly, that 
women's watchmaking needs more of, and that's a proper watch, just a proper watch, no messing about. It's not coated in diamonds. It's not marketed as a jewelry item. It's marketed as a proper watch in respectful dimensions, using all of the great techniques of our industry to great effect and delivered in a package that can be worn day in, day out without any kind of headache whatsoever. Now, that is why, believe it or not, the PF won this category for me. What do you make of that? Amazing. I love your analysis. Um, I follow you. I concur with you. Amazing curveball on the VII, the Visual Impact Index. I love it. We should do an episode about that as well. Yeah, we could do a whole series about that. But tell me what... No, wait, no, wait. I have to guess what you wanted, right? What you were going to pick. Yeah. Hi, hi, hi. Okay, and then you're going to give me the rundown. So let me have a think about this. Hmm. Oh, good grief. I think you are going to take the Van Cleef and Apples. Very funny, because that one is at the bottom of my list. Oh, no. (laughs) At my utter bottom of my list. Why did you choose that one for me? I thought you'd have a soft spot for it being a jeweler and, you know, the brand itself. I thought you'd like it. I thought it would resonate with you in some way. Okay, interesting, interesting. Because you did hit on the topic of why I chose my number one pick. For me, having said that I'm with the ladies in the watchmaking industry, that they don't want to be labeled, classified, and pushed into a corner. I'm with them. But the beauty of being a lady, and only ladies can wear true, artisanal, jeweled, jewelry pieces and i bless them for that and i'm jealous of them for that so that being said and me always choosing watches first and foremost on an emotional level and then i balance it with ratio meaning hey does it look good and does it holistically look good is it a nice caliber is it the finish good etc 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 my gut feeling immediately went to the Arnold and Son, the Perpetual Moon Eclipse one, because I find that the most poetic watch of the six. The Chomet, the Ferlante secret timepiece caught my eye, but a watch should always be worn. It's not meant to be looked at in a vault or on a table or whatever, because that makes it a clock. And then a safe, it's an investment piece. And that's what, they're not for that. They're meant to be worn. So I've written off the showman. My second runner-up was the Chopin Alpine Eagle. I simply love Chopin. Chopin is a jewelry maker as much as they are a watchmaker. A lot of people actually don't know that they are amazing manufacturer watchmakers. Also from Fleurier. But too boring. Ladies. And, I, and I'm jealous of them for that, can go all out. I simply don't have the, the, the self-confidence to wear diamond-studded watches yet. I'm jealous of the men who do, or gem-set watches. Um, I utterly love them. So of these six, I think the constant checking is so much fun, but it's not feminine enough for this category. So, therefore, I'm with you on the Parmigiani Fleurier. And I utterly love the, the Tonda watches. I love their 
micro rotor calibers, but it's too boring. I, I hear what you're saying. How dare you? <laughs> it's a bit boring. It's not boring. And you said it's pure class. It's boring. It's pure and, class. And, and, and because no, but they added what little baguettes as indexes for the hour markers, and that makes it a feminine watch. And they took a male watch and downsized it. The Arnold and Son is poetic, has a big moon phase. Too big. Which is set. It's too big. Too big. No, it's nice. <laughs> it's nice. And again, again, just for the record, I I wanna love Arnold and Son as a brand, but I'm not feeling them yet. They're they're making a turnaround and they're working very hard. And I salute them for that. But actually the 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 the, the the Perpetual Moon Eclipse, the, the first version, the, the clean one, spoke to me because of the big moon. And I'm, I'm a sucker for moon-faced watches, okay? That needs to be said. And, 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 and circling back to your pick for me, I love Van Cleves and Appel as a jeweler because they've always been creative and they still are today. And as you know, I'm a big fan of Christian van der Klauw and they have a collab. And Van Cleves and Appel's has been doing amazingly on the watchmaking part of their legacy by creating poetic pieces. And I wished one of these pieces was in this category this year. They have done so in the previous years. And therefore, Arnold and Son took the win for me this year. This is now the third year I'm actually an Academy member. So I'm very honored to be on the voting side of things. So yeah. That's my pick. And I need to elaborate why I think the Van Cleef and Appel was such a wrong pick on your end with their Perlet watch with 23 millimeters. It's small. It's not jeweled for a jeweler brand. I do not like floating watch straps clunk onto a round case. I love lugs. And I do love Perlet. I do love a pearled bezel. That's what they mean with it. So it's a, a rice, they, they either call them rice bead bezels, a lunette. I love them on a Breitling Navy timer, for example. Um, it's, it's a signature for Van Cleef and Alpel, VCNA. But I don't know. And it feels old school. It's not even retro or vintage inspired. It simply feels like a grandma's watch that has been lay, laying in a drawer for 50 years. Yeah, in some ways, I kind of feel like that's its appeal. Like it's old, but it's new. And it expresses some of uh, Van Cleef's amazing manufacturing ability with that bezel and the bracelet. You don't like it, that's fine. I thought that was a bit of a curveball. I thought you might have surprised us with the quartz movement and the jewelry first approach to the case and the bracelet. But I appreciate where you're coming from. It's, I mean, it was either going to be your thing or not your thing, and it really wasn't your thing. So I uh, took a punt on that one and I failed. And unfortunately, it falls to me to make the prediction first for the second round, which is the ladies' complication round. Now, this is a little bit more interesting. We have yet another entrant from Van Cleef and Apples. We have Hermes, Chopard, Chomet, Audemars Piguet, and Anderson Genève. Now, I must admit that I struggled to pick which one you would settle on as your choice. And I was again thinking of the Van Cleef, but I daren't now, having done it once already, although I feel like I might have tied myself in knots with this one. I'm going to say that you're going to say the Hermes. Interesting. I have to say on record, I utterly 
love what Hermes is doing in the recent years, and also with this timepiece, the Arco Le Temps Voyageur. I like the orbital movement. I actually love that one lug, when the strap goes into classic short lugs into the case. And then they made this equestrian-styled lugs that Hermes does often at the 12 o'clock. But the problem for me is they made this watch first for men. Now they reduced it for ladies. Oh, damn it. <laughs> and actually, you shouldn't have pivoted. Oh, no. Because the Van Cleef almost took the award for me. The only thing that went wrong is the indents in the strap, the floating lugs again. God, you're a real stickler for the lugs, right? I am. It really does not do it for me. Going from there, I took the category very seriously. It's complication, but for ladies. On paper, either the Audemars Piquet or the Chopin should win because the tourbillon is a major complication. But the Adamar is not made for ladies. It's just a small royal oak, which we have seen for 50 years now, reduced. Nothing feminine about that, I think. So I dismissed that one. I was thinking about the Anderson Genève with the Tempus Terre Baguettes Aquamarines. Could have done it for me, but still too clean. Bit of a tool watch, which they added gems to it and then decided it's a feminine watch. Don't think so. So I went for the Chomet. Wow. Sous le Soleil, creative complication. The title says it all. It's a complication. It's creative. It's fun to look at. Gems all over, which you know I do. I, it's semi-floating lugs. So Chomet did it for me. And I went with my instinct. And if we analyze it, yellow gold, yellow gold is back in fashion. Very steep price at Swiss franc, 275K. Good grief. Yeah. But I think that in the Oscars of watchmaking, I don't think we should be too stiff on grading just price because it's a unique piece. And I think they can get away with it. It is a bit big with 42 millimeters. And looking at the VII that you created, thickness of 16.3. Bit hefty, but with a big diameter, I guess they can pull it off. It's an automatic self-winding movement. Dimensions-wise, it is a real beast on the wrist, but it has so much about it as an object of extravagant beauty, I suppose it can get away with such statement dimensions. But yeah, that, that for me is, uh, I mean, it's, that is the kind of curveball I was expecting from round one. So, so bravo. <laughs> That's what I have to say about it. I can go on for hours. I can do a deep dive on the gemstones used, on the cuts they used, uh, the color combination, actually did the engine turn engraving on part of the dial, you know? Our mutual friend Fabrizio Bonamassa from Bulgari, he taught me a saying in Italian when I asked him why the Italians are the best in design. And he said, molto non troppo. 
which in Italian means it's a lot, but not too much. <laughs> and that saying goes for this watch, in my humble opinion. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's a lot. It's a lot, but not too much. So, um, Chopin is a close second together with Van Cleef and Appel for me. Now, if I need to guess what you have picked in this category, I am really clueless. Um, putting a gun to my head, strangely enough, I think you went for the Adama Piquet Royal Oak self-winding flying tourbillon, ultra thin, RD hashtag three. Well, I am very glad that you made that pick because if we're keeping score, it's currently nil nil. And uh, after after round after round one, and you embarrassing me by pointing out that I'd picked your bottom dweller with the Van Cleef and Apples, I'm glad to say you have picked my sixth position watch in this category. I hate this Audemars Piguet Royal Oak for the reasons you mentioned. And also the fact I generally hate dial side tourbillons anyway. And I think that the shade of purple on that Royal Oak would work in a time only dial, but just looks like they're trying too hard with the tourbillon in addition. So that was number six. That was an easy dismissal for me. The uh, Chaumet and the Chopard would have been tied in fourth and fifth. I struggled uh, with the Hermes. Uh, I wanted to put it higher than third, but I couldn't raise it any higher given in my opinion the majesty of the top two picks and it was between the Van Cleef and the Anderson Genève for me and I went for the Anderson Genève and ultimately although I was wowed by the the beautiful aesthetic of the Van Cleef dial it was an easy decision Anderson Genève is one of the greatest and most underrated brands in Geneva in my opinion Sven Anderson the founder of the brand is a living legend and the finishing on these watches is just next level. And what I love about this one is, although that center dial finish, which is also used on the rotor, is available in men's watches, it looks so much more at home in a female watch. And the Aquamarines are a lovely addition. They're not too shouty. They're not too in your face. They're beautifully set. They complement the dial well. This case has got a like a hunter closure on the case back, I suppose, or a little pop-out like cover so that you can close up the case back and open it and look at the movement whenever you want, which is a nice addition, although it doesn't add anything to the 30 meters water resistance, which is a shame because otherwise this is a really nice daily wear watch. And I just, I can't get over the dimensions of this thing. I think it's absolutely perfect. It's 39 millimeters wide, beautiful size. A man could wear it as well, quite comfortably, of course, but it's only nine millimeters thick. And that makes for such a comfortable watch on the wrist. And I think it's demure enough to get away with being a daily wear watch, even though it's obviously a very luxurious thing, fashioned from white gold with a bezel of aquamarine baguettes and whatnot as it is. But that was an easy peasy winner for me uh, in the end in the ladies' complication categories. So what do you think of that? I'm actually happy that you picked it. Um, honestly, I'm with you. I love Anderson Geneve. I think they're very, very underrated indeed. They would deserve way more credit. And it appealed to me as a collector, um, as, a, as a retailer, as a jeweler. I love aquamarines as a gemstone. It's one of my favorite colored gemstones and the color as well. And they're becoming more rare. Um, the funny thing is I, I would have worn this watch if I had to dive into gem set watches for me 
This could have been a pick for me. Why not, though? Regarding why not? You could definitely wear it. It's beautiful. I'd wear it myself. It's gorgeous. In, indeed, I love world timers. And why not? Good question. Why not? This is something that I need to ponder about. Um, regarding your uh, hunter styled case back, um, I think they did that for engraving. If you have an open case back, you can't engrave. So maybe they thought this will be bought by a collector for the missus and they want to engrave it maybe. That's my guess. It's a nice touch. It's a really nice touch. And I mean, the handcrafts that they have at their disposal within the Anderson workshop in Geneva are seemingly limitless. So absolutely take advantage of that if you're one of the lucky people that gets to buy one of these watches. There aren't so many of them in the world, but oh my God, in person, that is that just shows you what true watchmaking can do to the soul. It just enriches it to hold it in your hands. It's amazing stuff. Great guy. Really great. Totally agree. Shall we move on to the third category? Oh, it's the big one. It's the men's category. Just men, because we're going to have several more. And this one, my gosh, this was difficult. Really? Man, this was this was easy for me. This was this was like 10 seconds. Okay. Let's Elaborate why this is difficult. What I find annoying as an academy member that you go from men's, men's complication to iconic to tourbillon to calendar and astronomy, etc., etc., etc. And in this category, they put complicated watches, which I would have seen that all the entry level or basic or less complicated watches weren't put in this category because very quickly. We have an amazing Atelier Akrivia. We have a Bulgari. We have a Parmigiani Fourier again. We have Sylvain Pinot in here with the origin. Why well, you have an amazing trilobe in there? And Zenit with their caliber 135 Observatoire, which was a collab. Rob, should I go and guess yours? If you say it was a 10 second pick for you. Yeah, go ahead. You went for Sylvain Pinot. Wow, it's uh, still zero, zero. <laughs> uh, that wasn't that wasn't quite as embarrassing as the previous pick. The Sylvain Pinot did catch my eye, actually. I did think it was very nice. So I had a bit of a weird journey in that 10 seconds that I was describing. The Zenith was immediately out the window. I think it's boring as sin and just should never have been entered in this category. I don't think it ever had a chance. Honestly, I just think aesthetically it's drab. Funnily enough, the Bulgari, of which I am a huge fan in general, doesn't do anything for me. This is one of my least favorite new executions of the Otto Finissimo line. I don't need the skeletonization in the Otto Finissimo. I find the case architecture itself more than satisfying. I don't need any more enlivenment on the wrist i'm very happy with it as it is so this one it leaves me cold weirdly i am absolutely blown away by its technical mastery but in all honesty that's not for me either the trilobe or trilobe i know rj from fratello loves this brand and i actually gave him a second chance because of his enthusiasm for them and I looked into them, and I do like the way that they're telling the time there. I like how different it is. I think it's ambitious, and I think it's really nicely executed. A good novel concept executed well, which is what we always like to see in watchmaking. 
but for me, it just doesn't have that classical ring to it that I'm looking for in a good, solid men's watch. Now, if you put that in the complications watch, I suppose, technically, I suppose it isn't the complication because it's just the time, but I think you could probably have got a little bit more just attention for it there than in this category. Then it came down to the second and third spot, and the Sylvain Pinot did register in there simply because I like the look of the finishing. I'm a huge fan of the three-arm balance, and I quite like the off-center dials, but it probably ended up in third place behind the Parmigiani, simply because I think these PFs, these Tonda PFs, especially those with the micro-rotor, are incredibly underrated. Obviously, I chose the ladies to win my ladies category. This one, 40 millimeters wide, 7.8 millimeters thick, but get this, 100 meters water resistance. It's in steel and platinum, so it's a very wearable watch. It's comfortable. It's 21,000 francs. It's not cheap, but it's not crazy, crazy. It falls right in the same kind of price bracket as the Chapek Antarctique, uh, Bulgari Octofinissimo's Moser Streamliners. It's right there with those steel sports watches, the classic steel sports watches of today. So that was my second pick. But number one was easily by a mile far and away the Acrivia because it's, well, it's Acrivia. And what more do you need to say? It's got Roman numerals, which is the worst thing I can say about it, except because it's Acrivia, those Roman numerals suddenly become a plus point, not a minus. So I'm, uh, yeah, I was uh, blown away by the beauty of this. The case back view is unreal. The movement comes right up to the display sapphire. It's a stunner. It's the kind of watch that you could wear every day of your life for the rest of your life and hand it down to generations and generations and generations to come. Just don't go swimming with it because it is only 30 meters water resistant, but 38 millimeters wide, 8.75 millimeters thick, platinum case, take my money. Well, actually don't take my money because it's 125,000 francs. I don't have 125,000 francs, but apart from that, yeah, I'm all in. What do you think? Amazing analysis. I just do not concur with you on the Zenith, but I'll pause for a moment. You need to guess mine now, and then we'll do the analysis at the end. Well, I'm hoping you're not going to pick the Zenith. Um, oh, man, this is difficult. Okay, you, def- you definitely won't have picked the Acrivia, given that comeback, or the PF, because I just don't think it's your jam. Uh, I think you're somewhere between the Bulgari and the Sylvain Pinot, with probably the Zenith in third position. I'll say that you went for the Sylvain Pinot. Funny. So, instinctively, my eye went to the Sylvain Pinot. I, I love independent watchmakers. I love real watchmakers. And I love when there is a maximum of handwork in a wristwatch. So, I love the composition. I love form follows function. There's nothing not to love about that timepiece besides the price. But I've said at the intro of this category, I don't. It, although it's not a complicated watch, it looks complicated. It looks like a tourbillon, which it's not for those that might be confused if it is. But my gut feeling says that this category should be a less is more watch. So if we're going to the essence of less is more, for me, the first pick is Atelier Kivia as well. 
I actually concur with you on this. You sneaky bugger. You completely set me off on the wrong track then with your response. Unbelievable. Shenanigans. Absolute shenanigans. Of course, it's the obvious choice. It's the right choice. It's the best. If it doesn't win, I'll eat my hat. It is. I agree with you 100%. For me, personally, as a collector, all six could go straight into my personal collection. But we are analyzing here who we think should win the prize this year in this category. So this particular watch. So on paper, the Zenit should win because it's an observation watch. So they've won prizes. It's a re-edition, um, retro-inspired. I do love it. Um, but a bit boring. I think that in annual award ceremonies, you need to bring a bit of novelty as well bit of innovation, or push the limit on something. So, following your analysis, I utterly love Parmigiani Fluyer. I love what they do. I love Michel Parmigiani. I'm just not personally a fan of fluted bezels. So, I like the Tonda 1950. So, I feel this model a bit less. But they definitely deserve to be up here. Trilo. I do call this a complication watch because it's definitely not easy to make it. And maybe in functionalities doesn't have anything but time displays. But the way of displaying time is complicated. I call this a baby MBNF. The Bulgari, the funny thing is, you know, I'm a big fan of the Octofinissimo and I actually own one. I do think that it's cool that they skeletonize because it creates depth. Because the case already has 110 facets. And it creates more facets into the watch. Um, so cool. Kudos to Bulgari. Eight days is a kind of a complication in the movement. But okay, we can have a discussion if it should be or shouldn't be in this category. But hands down, Rex Happy is the future godfather of watchmaking. He is so young, accomplished so much. He went down to the nitty gritty of basic watchmaking and he elevated the game the only thing that i can uh, discard is i'm not a fan of roman numerals but the lines he used dancing around the roman numerals brilliant and i'm a sucker for platinum good choice good choice and i mean the funny thing is about all of uh richep's stuff is at 125,000 francs it seems like a bargain and I don't have 125,000 francs, and I probably never will have 125,000 francs to spend on a watch. But I stand by that statement as ridiculous as it sounds. It just it puts a lot of things into perspective, let's put it that way. He, his, the mastery of his craft and the dedication of his life to getting better and better in ways we couldn't possibly have predicted is something to behold. And yeah, like I mentioned also, the Roman numerals would normally be a drawback, but he just does it so elegantly. Somehow managed to make it pretty modern. You know what I mean? Kind of looks like a sort of Tron race course, doesn't it, that dial? Indeed, indeed. And and there's so much going on there. And, and, and we didn't even talk about the finish of the case making. And he's so young and accomplished so much in the pursuit of perfection. So... Only for that, I think he deserves an award because that's what it's about, right? It's not about would we or wouldn't we buy it. With the Oscar, it's also about dreaming. So, um, and, and we could say if we had the budget, we would have won it. 
but I think it's also about who should win, right? Yeah. So that also leads me in my decision-making for the game you and I are playing today. Absolutely. I mean, there's only two watches out of these six that I would buy, and that's the Equivia and the Parmigiani. And I love them both. And the Parmigiani is, you know, maybe a realistic possibility one day. I wouldn't say it's right at the top of the list, but it's not out of the realms of possibility. And the Equivia, that is a dreaming watch. That is that is right on the top of Mount Olympus. You know, that's the end game. That is the kind of exit watch that I could take seriously if somebody put it in that category. All right, moving on. Men's complications. Do I have to guess for you first? I'm losing track. Just go with it. Yeah, I think you should go and guess for me. All right. Well, I actually think eh, there's maybe two possibilities here that I could see you going for, but I'm just going to go with my gut and I'm going to say you picked the singer reimagined barista. You know what? I'm going to keep it short this time. And it's yes. Woohoo! I did it. I finally got one right. Yes. One point to Bobby. Get in. <laughs> um, I'm going to dive in and say why quickly. We'll, we'll mix it up a bit, not to make it too boring for our listeners. My initial gut feeling was the Palmigiani Fleuye Tonda PFGMT Ratrapan. I would have been so pissed off if you'd suddenly turned around and picked a Parmigiani after ignoring them in every round up until this point, because they've been ever present. But this is a gorgeous watch, I agree. It is. Here, I went with holistically what's inside. It's so groundbreaking what they did caliber-wise, and that shows who they truly are. They're watchmakers who make their own calibers and design them and create them and craft them in-house with Vaucher, which is owned by Parmigiani and is led by Michel Parmigiani because it's never done before. A Roger plant for the GMT function and Parmigiani is such an elegant brand. And you just mentioned at the previous category that one day you think you will own a Parmigiani Fleurier watch. I highly, highly recommend you because I've owned several and they are amazing. So I've been admiring Singer Reimagined for a long time. I am not a fan of Porsche as a brand. I do love the 911 design-wise, but it's simply not my car brand. And they are very much intertwined with the 911 and Porsche. I admire these guys behind Singer. Barista is a profession that I hold in a very high regard because I love coffee. But what I love that these guys do, they make amazing chronograph watches, and I love chronographs. For the record, a chronograph is a complication. A lot of people don't know that, don't agree with that, but it is a complication. In this category, all six have amazing complications. But if somebody really innovated, that's Singer. They innovated with their chronograph calibers. So that's why they are taking the award if I had the final say in this category. Good choice, good choice. What do you think I picked? Tough choice. Not hearing you up until now, I would also have voted for the singer reimagined for you, but you've been singing such high praise of Parmigian Fleurier, so I'm a bit in doubt, but because you've given so much love to Parmigian Fleurier, I'm also going for the singer for you. Oh, I thought you were going to miss an open goal there. But you didn't. You slotted it right into the bottom corner. You're right. It, yeah, it is the singer. So it was a real, a real 
fight between the Parmigiani and the singer right until the end. And I had to go with my honest feelings. When I saw Singer Reimagined Watchers for the first time, and it wasn't so long ago, I couldn't believe what I was holding. They did something to me. The hair stood up on the back of my neck and my arms, and I, I was turning the watch around in my hands, mesmerized by it as an object. I was really taken by how close the hour indicator, which is, of course, the hour hand has been replaced by that peripheral ring that glides just microns beneath the sapphire crystal, creating a very unusual display and a weird depth to the dial, like multiple levels and different finishes. I, I couldn't really get my head around it. It felt like something else, something that I'd never held before in my life. It has a similar kind of weirdness to it that the Constantine check and wristmonds do because they don't have hands and so much of the dial indication exists so close to the underside of the crystal. It has this uh, strange ability to pull you in to the to the dial side workings and that is what happened to a singer. Now obviously this this one minute chronograph scale that they have on the dial to show you how to brew coffee is just a laugh. It's just a joke. It's just a bit of fun and it's really a great ambassador in itself for the brand because it just shows how they approach watchmaking they want to put a smile on someone's face while doing things that no one else has ever done before in terms of time display and whatnot so yeah i absolutely love it it's the number one for me i hate armin strom's effort here the orbit manufacturer edition is trash the audemars pk 1159 is uh, a shocker it looks like a carnival watch the beauvais is i think well made but just totally living in the clouds Bovey's head sometimes seems like it's in the clouds to me. I don't really understand who they expect to buy these watches and when they expect them to wear them. The Hermes is cool, don't like black watches, so it loses a couple of points for that for the bezel. But aside from that, it's a great complication, a great watch. Parmigiani could have taken it and would have taken it if it hadn't been for the singer, which is just next level. All right, okay, so it's one apiece. We both <laughs> we both guessed each other's men's complication choice. Maybe it was low-hanging fruit. Next up is the iconic category, which if there was one category in the GPHG that deserves to be taken outside and punched in the face, it's the iconic category because who the hell decided to name this category iconic? It's like firstly the most overused word in the watchmaking industry and just makes you angry the moment you see it. I, I did not enjoy judging this, this uh, category at all, Alan. How do you feel about it? I found it difficult because as you said rightfully, the term iconic is being used and misused for a long time. So I think we should set parameters what that definition means. And I guess something becomes iconic if it's uh has withstand the 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 the, 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 the times of, of of fashion, of trends, and is wanted by several generations or minimum two. That being said, um putting watches that are retros in there that I don't think have sold well back in the day and still not today, doesn't make them iconic. So that makes the decision maybe easier today. But none of these six watches are the 911 of watchmaking. Some of the cases are, but they've been messed about quite some bit. So I'm with you. It has been a very difficult pick. I have made my decision, but is it my turn? guess for you i think it's your turn to guess for me i'm going to do two votes that's cheating on paper <laughs> <laughs> on paper on paper 
You've picked the Breitling Navitime. Okay, okay. Well, let me see if I can find that piece of paper. But for the person Rob Nerds, he went with the Casket 2.0 by Gerard Perrault. Person Rob Nerds? Who the hell is the person Rob Nerds? Since when has he been distinct from the Rob Nerds on paper? Shocking. <laughs> well, what's your, what an accusation. Well, so, all right, then. I don't know how to answer this because do I give you two shots, two bites at the cherry? Like, which is what's your answer? Is it the Breitling or is it the Casket? I okay. If we need to boil it down to one, it's the Breitling. And 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 if I need to say why, the Adamar Piquet would have taken the prize for both of us. No brainer. If it was just the original, yeah, Gel Genta, Royal Oak Jumbo, true, and that's it. The extra tin open worked is a modern version. That's not the iconic one. It's a monstrosity. So, you agree? Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. It's a dog's dinner. I don't want to label it awful or not awful, but for this category... That's fine. That's fine. I'll do it. I'll put my name on it. It's awful. (laughs) Okay. So, I do like skeleton watches. Um, I think that skeleton watches work the best if it's a less is more case. So, it's all about the movement and nothing else. But the Royal Oak is a piece of art. and especially with the metal bracelet, it doesn't need skeletonizing. It needs the most clean dial out there. I would have loved to see a Royal Oak with a empty dial, a nude dial, a bare dial. That would have been amazing without even a logo on it. But okay, that's a whole different Ooh. discussion. Is the Gerard Perigo casket an iconic watch? No. Is it iconic, revolutionary for Gerard Perigo when they designed it? Yes. Has it withstand the times? No. Of the six watches in this category, there are only three, which is the Bradley Navy Timer, Tag Heuer Monaco, and the IWC Big Pilot. But of these three, I think you've picked the Navy, Navy Timer. There's a whole big discussion. Do you say Navy Timer, Navy Timer? So well, our mutual friend Fred Mandelbaum has put me in my place, but okay. Oh, I say Navy Timer. What does Fred say? He says it's a Navy Timer. It's not Navy, because there's no Y in there. It's not Navy timer, Alan. It's navigation. No No one's ever said Navy timer, except for you. Oh, you don't know how many people say Navy. Well, they're all wrong. That's just wrong. It's just, it's not like, oh, it's an opinion. It's like, no, (laughs) it's just not how you pronounce it. Anyway. It's the Navy. Navy timer, yeah. Um, All right. You are unfortunately wrong, but very, very close. I went with the casket. Really? Yeah, I did. Um, I'll tell you for why, and I won't. I won't keep you too long on this front. So, you nailed it with your assessment that only three of these watches are really iconic, and that's the Monaco, the Big Pilot, and the Navi Timer. Uh, the Big Pilot is cool for what it is, but it's dull, and I'm not a fan of that execution at all. I actually love the recent Lewis Hamilton special edition they did with the teal markers. I'm not really a huge Lewis Hamilton fan, but that was just. Gorgeous as a watch. I know it's Rowan Atkinson, you know, Mr. Bean, Blackadder, wearing that watch mm-hmm. at a conference. That was amazing. What a good choice. What a discerning gentleman he turned out to be. Tag Hoya Monaco, awesome watch, uh, has a huge following. Never been my cup of tea, but it is an icon, but it isn't for me. The Zenftify Revival, from what I understand, existed, then didn't exist, and then has just been revived. And to me, that's not super iconic, and maybe you could say the same about the casket, but there's nothing like 
crazy identifiable about this Zen F Defy revival that I would take home with me from the GPHG itself. Automat PK, if you're absolutely right. Imagine this. Imagine if we got uh, Red Shepherd Chippy to do a, a Crivia finished dial for the Royal Oak case. You know, one of those hand, like matte polished dials that he does, that where he, he brushes them over and over again with, with a tiny, tiny microfiber cloth so that it becomes like super flat, but totally dull. Imagine one of those in a Royal Oak case. Would you not go for that? That would be amazing. That's exactly what Audemars Piguet should do with this case and bracelet because it's so iconic. It is. Just give me a blue dial tapisserie finish, just absolutely the standard bog standard watch in the collection. It would win hands down because it's just a stunner. And it is one of the major icons in watchmaking. And the Navi Timer does fall into that category. And I do love this baby blue sunburst with the black subdials and the black slide rule. I do love it, but the casket is cool. And George Bamford wears one. George is cool. His business cards are also very cool. Have you ever received a George Bamford business card? Of course. George is a buddy. I visited him in the Hive in Mayfair, London with my son. We had the red carpet rolled out. Simon and George welcomed us. We hung out. He took my son all over the ateliers, even when it was during COVID times. Stickers. I got my son a limited edition. Bamford Cookie Monster Watch. Nice. Nice. Amazing experience. Yeah. I want George on the show. I've said it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He and 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 and, and they did an amazing job. And he does amazing things with Joe Belgo as well. So I'm with you. Yes. Please go on. He's a dude. He's cool. He's got his own style. Saw him at Geneva the other day wearing a blue seersucker suit and he looked amazing. And He's uh, good-humoured, which means a lot to me. And when I saw him wearing this watch and heard him talk about it in such glowing tones, I researched it. This was a few weeks ago. I think I saw him wearing it on About Effing Time. I don't know what you call it. TV show, YouTube show that he does with Andrew McCutcheon of Time and Tide and Adrian Barker of, well, Adrian Barker now. And I was really taken by it. And I thought, you know what? I might even buy one of these because it's not crazy, crazy expensive. But something that looks like that it's four and a half thousand Swiss francs. And of course, yeah, it's quartz and yeah, it's digital, but it is cool as hell and it looks comfortable. Titanium ceramic case, folding buckle. What more can you ask? So yeah, it was the casket that took it for me. Sorry to disappoint you again. You came close. But I am very happy that you have picked it and I love your reasoning behind it and I agree with you. What did you choose from me, Rob? Huh. Of all the picks so far, I'm not saying that I'm sure I've got this one right. Um, this was maybe the most educated guess. Although I don't like this watch that much, I feel like you have a real soft spot for it. So I went for the Tag Heuer Monaco Golf. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I take an early lead over you here. Boom. Yes. Tune one for Rob. Yes. So I've, I've pondered long and hard about this category emotional decision intellectual you had to vote for this category because it has to be an iconic watch so i distilled it to the three of them i utterly love a bradley navi timer i've owned several i have a cosmonaut um i think that fred and the team did an amazing job with the logo but i don't like the ice blue it doesn't belong there but all of them had to tweak something to make it new to get voted this year because to get into the 
award ceremony, you can only pick watches you've launched in the recent year. So the last 12 months. So it's not the calendar year 2022, but since the last award ceremony. And that makes things difficult. So that being said, I did pick the Monaco because Iconic has lasted since 69. I would have preferred that the N caliber 11, so the crown on the left-hand side, the chronograph pushes on the position that they're at, at the right-hand side, would have been put into this category that would have made it even more iconic. But the storytelling with the Golf edition is very relevant and valid. Linking it to the movie Le Mans, linking it to Steve McQueen, literally with the racing history and pedigree, sponsoring many teams that were also sponsored by Golf. So although, and, 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 and for me, a very close second, third was the big pilot as well, of course. But should it be 43 without the power reserve? Technically, yes, because the original b with very shady history, but let's not talk about that today. Went back to the more original, but I love the 46 more. And the, re- the, the original version that came back in 2002, the reference 5001, had a power reserve. So that is the modern reiteration for me. And I just simply don't like the green. But if I didn't overanalyze it too much, I would have gone also for the Gilles-Alpenelgo casket 2.0. And I concur 100% with your analysis, so we can keep this short. It is the coolest watch in this category. And I have nothing against digital and I have nothing against quartz. That's not my reasoning. I mentioned that in the ladies category. But in here, this is the coolest watch. I'm glad you think so. I certainly do. And I am really considering buying one, to be honest. I think that it's something unlike anything else that I have in my collection, materials-wise, and just general aesthetics. So watch this space. It might wind up in my watch box sooner rather than later, especially if it wins the award. That's a nice little uh, sweetener to the mix. Good conversation starter. Next up is the Torbion category. And this is a category with which I struggled greatly because tourbillons, as I alluded to before, are not really my favorite of all wristwatch complications and certainly not those that are prominently displayed on the dial. But I have to say of the six available, most of them do a pretty good job of buying into the concept wholeheartedly. My least favorite, funnily enough, and I'll just throw this one out there to you right now to give you a, a, a fighting chance of guessing my choice, is actually the Parmigiani. So this one, you can take that out of your estimations when it comes around to your turn to guess what mine is. But what we have here available is the Audemars Piguet, the Grand Seiko, the Grubel Force, the Moser and C, and the Theo Offray Tourbillon Grand Sport. It's my turn to choose for you. And I am struggling between two, but I'm going to go with the Audemars Piguet Royal Oak self-winding flying Tourbillon open worked because firstly, it's a Royal Oak and we know how much we both love Royal Oak cases, the silhouette and the bracelet. But this one is very tastefully skeletonized and I think puts one of my PK's best foot forward when it comes to this style of watch. So tell me, is it a 3-1 lead or am I still stuck on two goals? Two goals. Ah, don't tell me you went for the Grand Seiko. Mm, almost. Oh, good. Okay. Almost. So for the record, I think they're all six stunning. They deserve to be up here. 
And to win this prize, I believe you should either bring something new to the table and innovate or simply be the most stunning of the six, okay? So your Parmigiani Fleurier Tourbillon Flying Tourbillon is amazing. I've sold many of them and they're fairly priced and they're amazing. But they didn't innovate anything. It's, it's an old caliber put into a new redesigned case, okay? And the competition for Parmigiani is so hefty this year. So you're right. The Laurel Oak self-winding flying tourbillon open worked is done in a modern way. It's skeletonized modernly. It's beautiful. You're right. Did they really innovate something? No. Although a flying tourbillon is amazing. H. Moser and C. The pioneer cylindrical tourbillon skeleton. Also stunning. Also stunning. But you know what? Moser makes one of the most amazing dials, the Fume. And I love when they use transparent lacquer for their logo, talking about understated elegance. Their dials are so amazing. I would have preferred that they didn't skeletonize at all. But okay. So they didn't win for me this year. Then, Tio Offre. Beautiful. Honestly, I have to admit, I don't know them well enough or don't know him well enough. Um, and although I think that Indies should win, he didn't take the award for me this year. Grand Psycho. They shocked the world this year. Usually their tourbillons go to their Paramount brand, Crador, which is not even sold outside of Japan. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rob. I mean, I've seen one or two in the Paris boutique uh, for Grand Seiko, but I'm not sure if they're typically on sale or whether they're just under the counter that you can have a look at. Yeah, maybe it's a new strategy. But Constant Force, I think it's a beautiful complication. It's an understated complication. Gérard Bergo does a lot with that functionality or that complication. I think it's aesthetically beautiful. I love open-worked lugs. Kudos to Seiko, my second vote position but for me the king of tourbillons after obviously Breguet historically it's Grubon Force I don't believe this yeah it's my number one I'm furious although although I'm not such a fan of these integrated lugs where rubber straps that, that's exactly why I discounted it that is exactly why I put it on the scrap heap immediately I was like oh we won't like those lugs You'll have something to say about those looks. No, I don't. Oh. I don't. I don't. But who the hell has eyes for the case with such a movement? If you have this slanted case curved, the 24 reflects also the angle. There's so much going on. It's 3D. It's Grobo and Force. And these guys became independent this year. They broke away from Richemont. Richemont was a minority shareholder. They broke away. They're independent. Both Mr. Grobo, Mr. Forsey, amazing. They, they, they deserve my pick. I, I voted with my heart. Okay, okay. To answer your, I know it was rhetorical question, who has eyes for the case when there's a movement like that? I would say anyone spending 470,800 Swiss francs on a watch would probably consider what the case looked like. But yeah, I love the case. I'm just 
slightly peeved that you went against your general type and flummoxed me there because yeah i thought i had you i thought i really had you for a two goal lead but whatever okay whatever your turn what do you think i picked difficult because you don't like skeleton you gave some hints while we're talking um but initially before we started i obviously went through the list and tried to make up my mind a bit for you my gut feeling said you went for the grand cycle and i guess it's maybe the odd one out because it's japanese within the swiss behemoths it's a japanese brand in a swiss competition the name of the competition has the city geneve in the title so the rebel you are that also i think accounted for you choosing this watch well it's a good choice and i actually uh, take it as a compliment that you thought my decision would be so discerning i do like this watch but it didn't win the day for me unfortunately i think it's the most technologically ambitious maybe of the bunch I don't know. There's some good competition from the Force and the Ofray. But um, aesthetically, it just lost me somewhere along the way. I can't tell you exactly why, because I think it's cool. But it just, again, doesn't make me feel anything. I'm not excited by it. I feel like it's a step outside of Grand Seiko's wheelhouse. What I go to Grand Seiko for is the spring drive caliber and a beautifully finished dial inspired by some ridiculously overblown story about nature you know like um, a blue dial inspired by the rough seas off the west coast of a certain japanese prefecture between the 3rd and 17th of march on a leap year as the sun sets and casts a purple shadow across the horizon that's one of grand seiko's press releases it hasn't been written yet but it will be next year if i need any help i can do press releases like that in my sleep but no grand seiko doesn't win for me neither does the Pige which is my favorite AP on this uh, list, on this docket so far. The Parmigiani, I hate open heart dials, I guess. I always hated them. I don't like these little windows to the movement at all. So that would have finished six out of six. The Moser probably would have just punched the Parmigiani, but it's not for me at all. I don't like the organic skeletonization style of those bridges. Uh, The Theo Offray in number two because I like the movement, but I went for Grubel Force as well because I do like the case and I do like the rehort ring, I guess, that's deeply engraved with this cool futuristic font. And I feel like this watch buys in totally from top to bottom. It's uh, exactly what Grubel Force should be doing. And I really appreciate those lugs, even if they're not to your liking. And if I had 470,800 Swiss francs, I wouldn't buy this watch, but I would consider it. So there you go. That's my choice for the Torbjorn. Same as you, Gribble Force. Amazing. It's, it's interesting that uh, you and I have such different styles, which is cool. And both of us are all over the place when we collect watches. Yeah, definitely. Which is the fun. That is the fun of watchmaking. And, and you don't need to be stuck in a box. And, and, and the beauty of it is of the diversity of collecting. Yeah, absolutely. And the next section has got quite a bit of diversity within it also. This is the calendar and astronomy section. We've got pieces from Arnold Sun, DRT, H. Moser and C, HYT, Crayon and Sapanieva watches. It's my turn to pick for you, is it? 
or is it your turn? No, it's your turn to pick for me. <gasps> okay. Wow. So difficult one. Um, I narrowed it down for you, either the HMOs or C Streamliner Perpetual Calendar, because I know how much you love the Streamliner, uh, like me, and how much you love HMOs and C, like I do. But I think you chose the Salpaneva Nocturne. Wow, 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 wow. What a curveball pick. Um, good knowledge. And you're and 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 all and you almost chose the crayon. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> but too classic, too classic for you. You've mentioned three of the four watches that were in consideration. The Arnold and Son and the DRT didn't get a look in, so they were immediately on the scrap heap for me. I don't know if you know this, but years and years ago, when Sapanyeva was really making hay. I was one of his biggest fans and I went to Salon QP mm-hmm. as a young watchmaker, wide-eyed, hoping to meet him and shake hands with my hero, which I did after he did about 11 bottles of Heineken and did not want to shake hands with some little twerp from Manchester that idolized him. And it wasn't the best experience of my watchmaking life, unfortunately, but I never lost any love for the watches, even though I wasn't able to charm the man in person. And this is a strangely well-timed release for me because British author Alan Garner, who is uh, from Alderley Edge, which is very near where I grew up, has just released a new book and it's in the running for several awards and it's put him back into the public eye. One of his most famous books was called The Owl Service. And I remember having a copy of this when I was a kid and the illustration on the cover was very much like the spooky owl on the dial of this Sapanyeva watch. So it's a very timely release, one that ticks a lot of emotional boxes for me and something that I would love to add to my collection. So it was in the running for selection. Now, the Streamliner is a watch that I have waxed lyrical about for many, well, moons, shall I say, ever since it came out. I spoke highly of it in the same category is the Chapek Antarctic and the Bulgari Otto Finissimo and other modern great steel sports watches. But if you remember, the Streamliner is actually my least favorite of those three. I love the bracelet. I adore the bracelet, but the case doesn't really work so well on my wrist. I think it's a wonderful object. I think it's a titan of design, and I think it's a classic that will be around for years to come. And I say that from an objective perspective, less so from a subjective adoration for it as a whole. The Crayon is a nice example from a brand I only recently learned of. I think it was only in September when I was in Geneva that I first encountered Crayon watches in the metal. And I was quite impressed. Very neat, very well-designed, good use of finishing, not too much to digest at any one point. So, you know, top marks for effort, but it doesn't really entice me to it. The winner of this category for me is probably unsurprising when you look back over my watchmaking career and appreciate my obsession with this brand from day one. That's the HYT Moonrunner Supernova Blue. I adored HYT right from its foundation. I went on my first watchmaking trip with HYT to Sardinia, and it stuck in my memory until today, obviously. And, uh, For me, it was a pretty easy winner in this category because there's still nothing quite like what the hydromechanical horologists do. They are special, and that's pretty unusual in an industry of intended specialness. So 
There you go. HYT took that category for me. I am going to refrain from commenting because I don't want to give away hints. So please pick yours for me. Uh, well, I had it between the top two on my list, I suppose. It was between the Streamliner and the HYT um, again. And yeah, tough one, tough one, tough one. Oh, on this occasion, I'm just, I'm going to go against my gut, actually. And I'm going to say that you also went for the HYT. Another goal for Rob. Nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it. Because the, the irony is on many things, you and I are unanimous. And on some watches, we're completely not. And, and it's, it's literally the far end of the spectrum. I also utterly love HYT from day one, from inception. When they didn't even start, I got introduced to Vincent Perriat. We became friends ever since. We still are friends. I love Davide Serrato. I love micro-fluid mechanical marvels of arts. I like what they've done with HY2 2.0. For those that don't know, unfortunately, they went bankrupt, resurrected, trying to be objective and see of these six amazing watches who should win. For me, a calendar astronomy watch that innovates of these six, HYT really innovates. I think that a complicated astronomy watch needs a moon because I've told you guys earlier on, I am a sucker for moon-phased watches. How amazing is it to have a ball in the middle of your watch that symbolizes the moon? So I love... Although I utterly love classic, classic watches, I love modernity. Talking about the MBNFs, the Urwerks, the HYTs of this world. So that's why they've won for me. H. Moser C was my second indeed, because where I love utter complications and bonanza and shenanigans and crazy stuff, I love less is more. And I've said it before. I truly admire H. Moser to have the guts to make watches without a logo or use transparent lacquer on their dial, which they've done with this streamliner, Perpetual Calendar. A lot of people think that Perpetual Calendars are only worth their weight if they use a lot of hands and complications on the dial. They reduce this watch to hardly a logo on the dial, the date positioned at four o'clock and the crown as well. So it creates sim symmetry. And if you cut through the central axis, you'll find the power reserve on the 10 o'clock position. So looking at the styling, it's out there. Um, well done, kudos, yeah. H. Moser and C. That being said, Third one was the Salpaneva, simply because it's the coolest watch in here. Owls don't do it for me, but that 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 signature moon he has is one of the most lovely and fun moon dials there are. Did you know it's supposed to be based on his face? Yes, I know. I read that. Probably one of your articles. No, by the way. I knew <laughs> I didn't that. Start yeah. it honestly. I don't think it looks anything <laughs> like him, but whatever. No, no, I know. I know that's the philosophy. He's a crazy guy, and I love that. And he, and he deserves a prize. Um, honestly, DRT, don't know much too much about the brand. Haven't held it in the middle. They made an amazing effort. A lot going on in the 
in the caliber and, and, and the absence of a dial. So when you look at it, the case is really not my cup of tea. The title is cool though, Tempus Fujit. So yeah, very original, very original. <laughs> and I've said it before, Arnold and the Sun are doing great stuff. This one, the Luna Magna Platinum, is lovely, but it's a mishmash. Roman numerals. If I'm correct, it's a fume enamel dial, but I'm not sure. But blue hands. The 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 moon has a lot going on. Meteor dial. There's too much going on. I would have boiled it down to less is more. Go the it it, it, it reminds me a bit of the old Jacquet Droit watches. Yeah, yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you're a bit creative, you'll see an eight in there. So visually it speaks to me, but I think they hit the mark, missed the mark a bit, sorry. And and and, and the last one, crayon. Lovely, decent. I guess this is for collectors who had their fair share of Patex and Bacherons and World Timers and want to stay in that style but want something new. But kudos to Crayon. Lovely what they're doing. Yeah, very nice. A really nice uh, way to start their life in the industry. Do you know what? Let's leave things there for the end of our first episode. That's seven of the 15 categories gone through. We'll pick up in episode three with the remaining eight categories and go through and finish off answering Ted's mammoth question, which has got the ball rolling rather nicely on the real-time show. Next up in episode two, we will be talking to none other than Jean-Claude Biver. So please tune in to listen to that. And don't forget to ask us your questions. You can contact us on Instagram, either at Rob Nudds, that's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, or at Alon Ben Joseph, that's A-L-O-N-B-E-N J-O-S-E-P-H. Or you can contact us directly via email at rob at therealtime.show or alon at therealtime.show. Until next time, stay safe and keep on ticking.